Hi, welcome back for our fourth and final installment on the interstitial lung diseases. And um, again, my name is Elizabeth Y, and I'm one of the thoracic radiologists here at Hopkins. Um, on this session, we're going to breeze through um, the other forms of interstitial lung disease. The prior sessions, we talked a little more about um, in depth about the fibrosing forms of interstitial um, lung disease. Um, but first, we're going to start off very quickly talking about smoking-related interstitial lung diseases and respiratory bronchiolitis. So histologically, respiratory bronchiolitis is seen in all smokers, and it's something that's usually asymptomatic. And when a patient begins to experience symptoms and shows a restrictive um, pulmonary function test, then we know, then the clinicians will call it respiratory um, bronchiolitis interstitial lung disease. On radiology or on the clinical side, usually we see it in someone who's 30 to 40 years old, um, usually a mild uh, male predominance. Um, 100% of these people have a smoking um, exposures or smoking-related history. And again, oftentimes they have a restrictive lung disease. Because they are smoking, we do see oftentimes also a mixed um, pattern because of the smoking-related changes in the lungs. And usually the prognosis is pretty good following cessation. On radiology, what we're really looking for is an upper low predominant process. It's really defined by central lobular nodules, usually ground glass in appearance, and oftentimes we see a little bit of thickening of the bronchial walls. Very very um, on the more advanced cases, we'll see subtle areas of reticulation, and it's plus or minus having emphysema and air trapping. But we really don't see a lot of the heavy fibrosis we saw with UIP and NSIP. Um, so with respiratory interstitial lung disease, oftentimes this is very classic look. We just get vague ground glass in the upper lobes, and they have somewhat of a nodular pattern, and we call this central lobular nodules. Um, on this patient that has a slightly more restrictive lung disease, we see that there are areas of mosaicism, a little bit of airway thickening, but if you subtly look at the lung parenchyma, you can start picking out these very subtle areas of ground glass nodularity. And so that we call this respiratory interstitial or respiratory bronchiolitis interstitial lung disease. Another form of the smoking-related interstitial lung diseases is desquamiv interstitial pneumonias, or DIP. Clinically, these patients tend to be 40 to 50 years old, again, in mild male predominance. Most cases have an abnormal um, oxygen exchange, so an abnormal DLCO. Um, and it's almost always related to smoking, but there are some... Um, Sometimes DIP can be related to other inhalational injuries, and every now and then a collagen vascular disease or an idiopathic form of DIP can crop up. Um, but usually the prognosis, again, is pretty good following smoking sensation, and the progression to end-stage fibrosis is usually relatively rare. Talking about the radiology of DIP, the radiologic findings are usually pretty nonspecific. We see ground glass opacities. It tends to be a little heavier in the lung bases, and it usually goes peripheral. But desquamiv interstitial lung disease is oftentimes um, defined by areas of thin wall cysts. They're usually less than a centimeter in size, um, and it's very uncommon to see honeycombing and architectural distortion. And to note that because it is a smoking-related lung disease, we often often see central lobular nodules related to bronchiolitis to respiratory bronchiolitis in addition to DIP to a DIP pattern so you can see nodules as well so this is just a radiograph of someone who has DIP we see that there is a lower low predominant process on these radiographs we see that there is a little more ground glass um, kind of 
reticular nodular pattern in the lower lobes. But once we look at it on CT, we see that there is kind of a diffuse ground glass throughout the lungs, but we see in the lower lobes there are definitely areas of thin wall cyst, mild um, airway thickening, maybe a little bit of mosaicism or air trapping in the image on the on the uh, lower right, um, but very um, nonspecific, but findings that we do see with DIP. And again, this is another example of DIP where we see kind of ground glass in lots of areas. Don't see a lot of consolidation, mostly ground glass. Um, areas of relative sparing or air trapping um, and some thin wall cysts that are starting. And again, just another great case of DIP where we see ground glass, areas of mosaicism in thin wall cyst in the lower lobes, another documented case of DIP. DIP over time can improve um, with smoking sensation and um, sometimes with steroid use. And this is just a nice example of um, the image on the left. We have a little more ground glass and we have some thin wall cyst. After the cessation of smoking, we see some of the ground glass has um, been removed. And the cyst, unfortunately, is architectural destruction within the lungs and they don't resolve themselves over time. So you still are left with essentially holes in the lung. Next, we're going to talk about the more subacute and acute phases of interstitial lung diseases, and we're going to breeze by organizing pneumonias, um, which, when idiopathic, do cause underlying interstitial fibrosis. The differential diagnosis of an organizing pneumonia type histology is very broad. So we call it COP or, idiop or, COP or cryptogenic organizing pneumonia when there's an no known cause. But most commonly organizing pneumonias are caused by other things such as infections, bronchial obstructions, aspirations, drug reactions, collagen vascular diseases. The list goes on and on. So organizing pneumonia type histology is actually um, a very common histology we see and is just a big fancy name for how the lung um, is trying to repair itself when it's um, when it in incurs injury. So looking at the clinical features of organizing pneumonia, it tends to be kind of a mean um, age of around 50 equal male-female um, distribution. Um, and, rel and smoking actually is believed to be a relative um, protective mechanism to organizing pneumonia. We see it much more commonly in non-smokers than we do in smokers. Um, and the prognosis, most people who have an organizing pneumonia type histology completely recover with no um, residua in the lungs. But there is a subset of patient that goes, the patients that go down the interstitial lung disease. So there's a wide expression of what organizing pneumonia can look like within the lungs. Of note, in someone who's immunocompetent, or, or who has a normal immune system, we often tend to see more consolidations, whereas if you're immunocompromised, someone with organizing pneumonia can be just ground glass opacities. Um, classically, they tend to be peripheral and along bronchovascular bundles. They can have nodules. There are some classic signs. We talk about the reverse halo sign and atoll sign that you can see with organizing pneumonias. And as I said before, nearly all of them resolve, and only a small percentage go to end-stage fibrosis. So this is a nice example of a cryptogenic organizing pneumonia. We see that there are bronchovascular consolidations that extend out to the periphery. So on the differential for peripheral consolidations, we often put um, organizing pneumonia on top. And this is just a great example, especially the image on the right where we see that there are more peripheral appearing consolidations along bronchovascular bundles. Um, 
and areas of ground glass. Some of the classic features that we can see that help us define something as an organizing pneumonia is what we know as the atoll sign, which we see um, on the image on the left, we kind of see a half atoll sign where we see a crescentic band of more dense consolidation with more central um, ground glass opacities. Um, also, this can be termed as a reverse halo sign, um, which is the image on the right where we actually see um, instead of the original halo sign was um, first described with aspergillus, where you have density centrally and ground glass around or surrounding it, whereas the reverse halo is just the opposite. Again, it looks like an atoll, so you've got dense consolidation peripherally and ground glass centrally. We tend to see these signs a little more as the organizing pneumonia is resolving. The one thing that's always on the differential for organizing pneumonia or peripheral consolidations that we need to keep in the back of our minds is eosinophilic pneumonia. So this is an example of eosinophilic pneumonia. It essentially looks just like an organizing pneumonia and sometimes they can be very difficult to distinguish. So just remember on someone who has peripheral consolidations along bronchovascular bundles, you always keep eosinophilic pneumonias on, um, on the differential. So next we're going to talk quickly about the acute interstitial pneumonias. And with the acute interstitial pneumonias, um, it is essentially a very rapid form of rapidly progressing diffuse alveolar damage. Um, so when we don't know a cause, we call it AIP or acute interstitial pneumonitis, um, whereas when we know the cause, it's also in the spectrum of um, ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. The idiopathic form usually has a viral prodrome. Um, and it is the only one of the idiopathic interstitial lung diseases with a very acute onset. So the idiopathic forms tend to be, um, we tend to again see them around the age of 50, no association with smoking, um, equal gender predominance. And unfortunately, the prognosis is very poor on these patients, and there's about a 50% mortality with your first exacerbation. The radiology of AIP includes it's usually a diffuse, um, nonspecific pattern, patchy consolidations in ground glass throughout the lungs. Um, oftentimes, it involves the lower lobes, and it's seen posteriorly. But the key feature with AIP is that you see very rapid fibrosis within the lungs that occurs in the course of days to weeks. And oftentimes, if the patient does survive the episode, they end up with a very bizarre appearing scarring pattern um, within the lungs. So on these images, it was the same patient, um, and again, we see that it's a, cement, or it's a diffuse process involving both lobes, not a, a lot of definition in terms of simply ground glass or simply consolidation, but a lot of ground glass. Um, there are some areas to suggest that there's some early underlying bronchiectatic changes in the lower lobes um, starting. So another patient, this is another example of a patient with AIP. So this is how they initially presented, where we see just a lot of diffuse ground glass in the lower lobes, relative sparing of the upper lobes. And if you look at that ground glass, we see areas of underlying crazy paving pattern. Um, and we see that, again, these ground glass opacities extend out to the periphery. They are encompassing bronchovascular bundles with relative areas of sparing. But one week later, same patient, again, we see ground glass everywhere. The ground glass hasn't improved, but if we look at these images, we begin to see that the airways are starting to be ripped apart, particularly in the lung bases. You can see that the airways are starting to dilate out. We see more varicosity or more... Um, 
beating appearance of the airways to suggest that there's been underlying fibrosis um, or fibrin deposition along the um, interstitium of the airways. Um, and so when we put these um, two images side to side, one of the key features to really identify whether you have underlying fibrosis within the lungs is to look at those airways. And we can see, looking at essentially the same or near same slices of the lungs, the ground glass distribution has changed a little bit, but within just a week we see quite a bit of dilation or new dilation um, within airways. And that would be highly suggestive of a very rapidly progressing fibrosis in the lungs, um, which we can see with AIP or ARDS, and it's usually a very, very bad prognostic sign. When people survive with um, AIP, again, the fibrosis can look very weird. You can have areas of little cystic changes and reticulation. The ground glass will hopefully relatively go away, but there's not um, a defined characteristic of how the um, fibrosis will look within the lung. It's just a very bizarre appearing pattern. Um, anyone would look at the CT and say that there is definitely scarring um, that has um, undergone itself within the lungs. Finally, we're going to uh, just briefly touch on the very rare forms of interstitial lung diseases. First, we're going to talk about lymphocytic interstitial pneumonias. Um, an LIP pattern is very, it's very rare when we see it. Um, it's very rare to actually be idiopathic. It's almost always related to Sjogren's disease or with um, someone who's had prolonged HIV. But we can see it every now and then with infections and immunodeficiencies. Um, when we do see it, it, there's no association with smoking. We often see it more commonly in females because it's related to collagen vascular diseases. And the prognosis is variable. So looking at the LIP, the radiologic features of LIP, oftentimes we see patchy ground glass with poorly defined nodules. But the real defining feature is that we see isolated thin wall cyst. Um, and this is what places it in one of the cystic lung disease categories as well. It's very commonly associated with follicular bronchiolitis when it's related to collagen vascular disease. And we often see thickening of the bronchovascular interstitium. So this is just a nice um, example of an acute LIP. Very nonspecific, but we see these very vague um, ground glass nodules in the lower lobe. And if you look on that image on the um, lower right, we see a very small thin wall cyst. It's a very nonspecific finding. You would have to exclude infection, um, but certainly LIP would be on the differential. This is a nice example of a more burned out case of LIP where you have thin wall cysts and maybe fewer ground glass nodules, but again, a very characteristic look for LIP. And this is an example of somebody who has, um, is actually a, a teenager who had had um, HIV since birth, and it had multiple bouts of interstitial lung disease. And this is the very classic look of what LIP looks like um, with end-stage fibrosis. We have areas of mosaicism, thickening of the bronchial walls, thin wall cyst, and relative areas of ground glass and nodularity. And, and, and finally, another example of just large thin wall cysts with LIP. And then finally, I'm just going to brush on um, one of the new pathologies that are, are one of the new diseases that we're newly defining, pleural parenchymal fibroelastosis, which is now on the spectrum of interstitial lung disease. It's a very rare idiopathic disease, described just a few years ago. And we have seen cases that are related to, um, that are, 
been thought to be genetically related and related to bone marrow transplant, and then a few idiopathic cases as well. And what really defines pleural parenchymal fibroelastosis, as seen on the image on the right, is that you have a very thick band of peripheral um, fibrosis is involving the periphery of the lung and the pleura. So this is just a great example. This patient was actually status post bone marrow transplant, who in 2005 had normal, relative normal appearing lungs, but by 2011 had a very classic look of pleural parenchymal fibroelastosis with thickening um, seen along the pleural surfaces, nicely seen along the fissures. And this is just a um, nice kind of time course of the same patient who went from normal lungs in 2005 to 2011, where they had um, end-stage pleural parenchymal fibroelastosis. And we can see um, as the images are progressing, thickening along the periphery of the lung and in the pleural spaces, particularly along the fissures, um, she also had a concaminant organizing pneumonia, which is why we see some ground glass opacity within the lung as well. So over the last four lectures, we've kind of gone over the defining features of interstitial lung diseases. We've talked more in depth about the chronic fibrosing forms of interstitial lung diseases where radiology really plays a role. And then on this final lecture, we've kind of breezed through the smoking-related interstitial lung diseases, the more subacute and acute forms of interstitial lung disease, and then the very rare entities that we sometimes see with interstitial lung disease. So thanks for listening.